0: You'll find our sermon text from Matthew chapter 17 on page 6 in your worship folders, if you'd like. If you turn the page to page 7, you'll also find some space that you can take notes, or if you'd like, you can fill in the blanks with a couple of our our key points, our key takeaways from today. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gives us a, a glimpse of his glory here today. Dear Christian friends, Take a look at that picture and raise your hand if you see an old woman. Okay, put your hands down. Now, raise your hand if you see a young woman. Excellent. We're about split. The really hard part is if you've seen the old woman, you're trying to figure out where's the young woman, right? It's really hard to see the alternative view because this picture contains both. And if you've seen the young woman in that picture, right, her face turned away, the feather coming out of the top of her head, it's really hard to find the old woman with the shawl over her head. That's kind of how it is in life, isn't it? We kind of tend to see things from from one viewpoint, one perspective, and we think about things that way and we sometimes have a hard time seeing or thinking in any other way. And I think that's true even when it comes to the way that we think about God. Right? Maybe you think of God as this gentle and loving shepherd carrying the, the little lamb on his shoulders, right? How he gently carries and, and cares for you. Maybe you think of God as the, the all-powerful God, the, the creator, right? Like the, the picture on the Sistine Chapel, on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, or anything in between. The challenge, though, is, is that we tend to think of God in one way, and we don't always see him in all of the ways. And as a, as a result, we, we kind of miss seeing all of who God is the one true God. We're about to read from Matthew chapter 17, an experience that, that Peter, James, and John had with Jesus. Now, if you read from where Jesus called these men to be his disciples, up until this point, they had had a tremendous wealth of incredible experiences with Jesus, right? Almost three years that they had seen him as their their friend and their mentor and their teacher, that they had had traveled with him and and lived with him and eaten with him and listened to him, that they had seen him tired from his travels and hungry and deeply sad and compassionate. But then they had also seen so many other incredible things too right like jesus healing people and healing of diseases and conditions that were that were permanent that were incurable right leprosy certainly but paralysis blindness they had even seen jesus heal peter's own mother-in-law they had been with him in the boat and remember half of these men were fishermen by trade they had spent Years worth of of time out on boats on this lake, and and this storm was so bad, it was raging so terribly, they thought they were going down. And Jesus wakes up and with one command, instantly calms the storm. They had heard Jesus forgive sins. And then they had seen him heal to prove that he had authority to, to heal and to forgive. They had seen him do countless miracles. They had been sent out with his message and had witnessed with their own eyes the power that it had. They had been with Jesus and Peter had confessed, right, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Beautiful confession. And then just right after that, what does he say? Jesus, stop talking about dying. No more of that. And Jesus' response to him was, get behind me, Satan. Because Peter had in mind human impact and human fame and human longevity instead of God's plan, God's purpose, God's promise. They had seen and they had heard all of this. But they still struggled with it because they still saw him with their human, mind, human eyes and, and thought about him with their human minds. And, and, and they kind of fooled themselves, right? Their hearts knew it by faith. They knew that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. They confessed it. But then they turned around and looked at him. And he just looks like a regular guy. I mean, there's nothing flashy, nothing fancy about Jesus Humanly speaking, worldly speaking. And I think the danger is there for us too. The danger for us to stop thinking about all of who God is because we forget some things. It brings us to our first takeaway today it's that my mind can fool me into thinking that God forgets or that God doesn't care about what's going on in this world. You ever think that? That God is some kind of far-removed, distant ruler who's completely out of touch with everything that's going on here. Or that God is so gentle and so easygoing that he couldn't harm a fly even if he wanted to. We live in a world, right, we know God's power, we know God's love, and yet we live in a world where we see lovelessness everywhere, where we see people who are completely absorbed with their own power. And we wonder, why wouldn't God do something about that? Why wouldn't he put a stop to that? And we think, well, maybe it's because he just doesn't know. Maybe it's because he's forgotten. Maybe he just doesn't really care. Maybe this is too small, right, that that I'm too insignificant, that my problems don't matter. And all of those are very dangerous thoughts because they miss who God really is. To make it explicitly clear and to imprint on these three disciples' hearts and minds who God is, Jesus took them up on a mountain and was about to give them a glimpse of his glory as he was preparing to go into Jerusalem for the last time, just before he was betrayed and then crucified. So let's take a look at the scene that they saw. Matthew 17, beginning at verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Now this is just a glimpse of Jesus' glory, right? And yet, what what a glimpse, what an experience it was. I mean, think about all the things that, that Peter had witnessed That Peter had seen with his own eyes, right? The healing of his own mother-in-law who was near death. The, The walking on water, even if it was just for a moment, defying gravity, defying science. Seeing people who had been dead, even for days, brought back to life. And yet this is the thing that he recalled This is the thing that we heard him talk about in in his second letter, right? That how he saw and how he heard the voice of God and he saw Jesus. His face like the sun and his clothes like light itself. And then there are Moses and Elijah, two two of the greatest messengers to God's people ever. And it was so good, So overwhelming that Peter did not want this to ever stop. Look what he says in verse 4. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter wanted to keep this good thing going. It's totally understandable. Don't we do the same? When this is good, we don't want it to end. We didn't want it to be over quickly. He wanted this once-in-a-lifetime event and experience to keep going. But God had other plans. Look at what happens, verse 5. While he, Peter, was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. So in the midst of Peter's misguided suggestion, God had an announcement to make. He wanted to say something. But interestingly, did you notice, you catch it? We've heard these words before. He restated the words that he said at Jesus' baptism as well. Have you ever thought about why God would say the same thing again? Like, There's a lot of things he could have said. What was God telling us about himself? This is God the Father thundering his approval of God the Son, right? That concept alone is mind boggling for us. God the Father, God the Son. And yet, here, he doesn't speak in a way that that we probably would, right? We would say, hey, you're my son, and I love you. No, God the Father was giving the heavenly seal of approval on everything that, the, that God the Son, that Jesus, had done up until this point and was pointing ahead to what was coming shortly. Because this is so different. The true God is so very different from all of the other ideas about God all of the other notions of gods that have risen up throughout the ages. Just think about this for a moment, like the pantheons, Roman gods, Greek gods, North gods, Norse gods, Egyptian gods, all of the the pantheons of mythology. And what do they do? All right, if you've studied any of the mythological stories, they'll they'll come down sometimes and they'll they'll mingle with their people. They want to see what's really going on. Sometimes they carouse, they're in it for themselves, their own pleasure. But not the one true God. He didn't need to come down and see what was going on. He knew just how broken this world really is. He didn't come down for his own pleasure. No, far, far, far from it. His purpose was much bigger. It's our second takeaway. It's that the reason God came was to save. That's why Jesus came, to make the payment for all sin, the payment for you and for me, so that all who trust in him as their Savior have forgiveness and salvation and eternal life with him. And that's what God the Father gave his approval to all of the work that Jesus had done up until this point, right in line with God's purpose and God's plan. I am well pleased, right, that, that his whole life had been perfectly lived so that he could make the willing sacrifice that would be the payment one time for all sin. So what was the reaction? Peter, James, John to being in the presence of God himself to seeing this glimpse of glory I'll take a look beginning at verse 6 When the disciples heard this they fell face down on the ground terrified But Jesus came and touched them Get up he said don't be afraid and when they looked up they saw no one except Jesus As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. These three men were terrified, and rightly so. Because they realized they were standing in the presence of the Holy God, and this is the reaction of sinful people standing before God. The God who sees through the facade that we put up, the God who looks right into our hearts and knows all of the loveless thoughts, who can see the whole record of our lives and our our careless words, our unkind actions. They knew they had no leg to stand on before God and so they didn't try. They fell face down on the ground because this God terrified them. And yet this God reached down and touched them and said, Don't be afraid. See, that's who God is. He's the God who, who terrifies us because of our sin and also the God who comforts us because of our Savior. He's the God who, who judges impartially and the God who saves undeservedly. He's the God who preserves you and me and every last thing in this world, keeps it moving and going, and yet he's the God who allows things to happen that that we don't understand and, and we can't grasp or fathom why he didn't prevent it or stop it or change it. He's the God who is eternal and the God who was born of a woman. He's the God who hates sin and the God who took all of the sin that he hates and suffered for it instead of punishing those who deserve it. He's the God who is all-knowing and all-powerful and yet he allowed a plot to go on right around him who allowed thorns to pierce his scalp, nails to be driven through his hands. He's the God of perfect justice and the God of undeserved love. He's all of them. Which is our next takeaway. Don't pick and choose who God is, who you think God is and what he is like. Because here's the truth. He is all of them. This is who God is. The God who demands perfection. Not just suggests it, not says try and, you know, see how close you can get. The God who demands it says, be perfect. Full stop. And the God who takes all of our imperfections and all of our failures on himself He's the God who who created all things by the power of his word and the God who came and inhabited his creation and surrounded himself by his creatures, with his creatures, so that he could save them. This is who God is. He is all of these things. Don't, Don't think he's one or this or that, right? Don't think he's the God who who loves justice, or the God who loves people. He's both. Don't think he's either powerful or loving. He's both. And don't miss that truth because that's who God is. Even though it's sometimes hard for us to grasp and wrestle with, he is all of these things in the best and perfect way. And that's so important for you and for me because we go through this struggle of life and we have this temptation, right, depending on the day, depending on how crushed I am by my sin, depending on how self-righteous I'm feeling, where we want to fall on one side or another. We want to lose our spiritual balance and think, you know, God doesn't care, he doesn't care that much about my sin. He doesn't care about so much about this. It's not a big deal. didn't affect other people. No big deal. Or he wants to fall, us to fall on the other side and think, yeah, well, I'm pretty good. And, you know, it's a good thing God is loving. And, and he really, he just is a sweetheart. And, and it's okay. God doesn't want us to fall on either side, to lose the spiritual balance of knowing that he is the God who hates sin, but who took our sin. He is the God who who loves you and who's willing to give his life for you. The God of all creation and the God who saved you and calls you by name. It's really important to understand that. Because the other reality is we live in a world that struggles to have any kind of a concept of who, who God is. And that even includes other religions who, who claim to call on God, but who miss so badly of who he truly is. Right? Prevailing thoughts in this world, God is a God who helps those who help themselves. God nah, he doesn't care about injustice that much. He's too far removed he, he's impotent to do anything about evil in this world. He's, if there's really a hell, you know, he's so kind and loving, he wouldn't send anyone there. And all of these miss the point. All of these miss who God is because they've lost any sense of balance of what God tells us about himself. By his grace, though, God has given you a new heart. Of faith, And by faith, then, you know who he is because you know what he has done. And that brings us to our last takeaway. Because God has a purpose for you in giving you this new heart. God's purpose in giving me a new heart that loves him is to listen to him and to share him. Because God didn't just give you a new heart and say, great, now you've got faith, see you in heaven. No, think of what he said. Think of what God the Father said as he announced the seal of approval on Jesus' work, what he told his disciples then and what he told his disciples now. Listen to him. And Peter told us how we do that, right? That, that God's word is, the Bible is God's word. And God wants us to to take that to heart, to realize that, to treasure it, that we get to listen to Him, Not not just hear Him, but listen to Him, take it in, digest it, pray about it, think about it, live it. Because God wants to guide you through this sin filled, danger filled life. But even more importantly, He wants you to listen to him so that you realize how serious he is about sin. That you fight temptation with a renewed energy, with a renewed passion and desire, because you you know how deeply God loves you. And because you know how deeply God loves you, That when you stumble and when you fall and when you fail, which we all do so often, that you know more and more and more how much God loves you and how completely he has forgiven you. Wiping away the slightest stain of sin from your whole record. Washing you so that you can stand before him in the perfection of Jesus. And knowing just how much that is for you, then empowers you to show that kind of undeserved love to others. Because God wants to be known, and He wants you to make Him known. But in order to do that, you have to know who He is and what He has done. That's why Jesus told those three disciples, right? Just, hey guys, this was amazing and I know you're going to want to talk about it, but, but just hold on to it for a moment. Don't go and tell everybody else because they didn't fully grasp and appreciate what Jesus was about to do in the coming weeks. The payment for sin, the death on the cross, the resurrection and his ascension back to heaven. When the Holy Spirit came, then they would get it. Hold on to it until then. By faith, God's given you a new heart. A new heart that knows who he is because you know what he has done for you. And now that you know him, God wants you to make him known. To share his love. To share his seriousness about sin and his complete forgiveness for it. To share who he is as the God of everything, and the God who loves that person who's struggling. God wants you to make him known because you know who he is and what he's done for you. Amen.